All right, welcome back. Michelle O'Neill here with O'Neill Wasaki. We're bringing you the basics of dads in custody in Texas webinar today, approved for 2.0 hours of CLE credit and a half hour of ethics credit. Joining me today are Michael Wasaki, uh, my partner at my law firm, and Ryan Siegel, who's also a lawyer at our law firm. And we are going to move into our second session, talking about the strategies before suit is filed. So, Michael, you've yes. got a client who calls you who says, I don't know if I'm going to file for divorce yet, but when I do, I want to put myself in the best position I can to file for custody and assume this is a dad calling you. Sure. What are some things that you tell him to do now before suit is ever filed to be in the best position he can be from a standpoint of custody of the kids? Sure. So first and foremost, I'd let him know that uh, that our rules don't uh, necessarily give a parent, one parent or the other, an edge, uh, like we discussed earlier. So under our, our laws, moms don't have an edge, dads don't have an edge. Uh, the court uh, instead looks at factors. But even with regard to those factors, there's no statutory set of factors. And what that means is, is that under our rules, the court is not given a list of things to determine or a list of things to look at in order to determine what is in the best interest of the child or children, which uh, is what the court is ultimately tasked with under our code in determining, which is best interest. Uh, and so oftentimes you'll have clients say, well, well, what, what is best interest? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, every case is different. Uh, but you can uh, try and zero the client in on some things that courts typically look at uh, and or factors that have been laid out by certain uh, case law uh, in our state. Uh, and so what, what we often will do is uh, focus the client on, okay, how involved are you as a parent? And when we look at that, we look at things such as, um, who uh, wakes the kids up in the morning? Who puts the kids to bed at night? Who makes the children breakfast? Who makes the children dinner? Who bathes the children? Who helps the children brush their teeth? Who helps the children with their homework? Who schedules the children's doctor's appointments? Who takes them to the doctor? Who schedules the children's extra, extracurricular activities? Who takes them to the extracurricular activities? In addition to taking them, does one parent or the other coach the, the extracurricular activity teams? Or uh, is one parent or another on uh, the uh, board uh, for a particular activity involving the children? Uh, with regard to school, uh, who sign the kids up for school? Who takes them to school in the morning? Who picks them up from school in the afternoon? Again, is that parent on uh, one parent or the other on PTA? Uh, is one parent or the other the classroom parent? Uh, does one particular parent or both or um, uh, some type of variation go to all the parent-teacher conferences? Um, we, we look at all of these uh, number of uh, things to help um, provide the court some insight into who, and you've heard us use the phrase earlier, who has been and or should be the primary parent based on the role the parent plays in the lives of the children. So that's a lot of stuff. It's a lot. <laughs> and, that's just, and that's just scratching the surface. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, whenever a client calls me and asks me that question, one of the things that I talk to them about is, is, you know, 
the positive parenting qualities like you know how do you go about proving those positive parenting qualities and putting yourself in the role of being like you said the primary parent but also just putting yourself into those positive parenting qualities you know in, in an ideal case both parents have a whole lot of positive parenting qualities right. and very little negative but we almost never see the ideal case um, so Ryan, what do you tell um, a client when they call a dad who calls and says, you know, what can I do now to prepare, you know, for some time in the future if I want to sue for custody? Sure. So going off what Michael said, I think that the big points to hit are being involved and in whether it is in school. So going to those parent teacher conferences. Um, being there for open houses, things like that, doctor's appointments. No one's going to buy you being the primary caretaker if you just leave your kid at home and go to work and have the other parent take care of. That's never going to work. And so I always tell clients, do everything that you can to be involved with this child because if you're not being involved and, you know, not to say that you can't go to work, but at the same time, you've got to balance those two things because you can't go into a courtroom and expect to get, you know, a 50-50 or primary if you're not doing things that a primary parent would do, which is stepping up and, and you know, and, and being there for your child for those doctor's appointments, for the orthodontist, you know cooking them breakfast, what you know, however the schedule is, but make sure you're involved so that when you do get to court, if you get to court, you can show this judge, hey, I did this, 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 and this, and here it all is. The other thing, I mean, going off that note, I tell them to start documenting things because if you're not papering this, it's going to be a he said, she said, doesn't matter which side you're representing, and the courts are going to say, well, I mean, I don't know, they're both saying different things, but if you have text messages, photos, you know, signatures on, you know, doctor's notes or things like that, that you can prove, hey, I was there, I did this, this, and this, that is going to go a long way in helping your case, whether whether you're fighting for the 50-50, whether you're fighting for primary, so that the clients know, hey, I might not be filing now, I might be filing six months from now, but I can certainly build my case because the court is going to look at the most recent things more than the you know things that happened five years ago. So I mean and that's that's where I tell the clients make sure that you're documenting and getting everything together because if you're not and you just go in there and say yeah you know I I took him I took him to the to the baseball and I coach his baseball team okay great like good for you but that's not going to get you primary what's going to get you primary is being there for all those other things so not just for the fun things but for you know what a primary caretaker would do um i always tell clients like as far as text messages emails with the other side be the nicest person i mean i preach that from day one of when my client comes in to when we go in courtroom i say you know what, if you can beat me as be, being the nicest person in court, I'll go buy you lunch. Because the, not only are they, you want to like them, 
and the judges want to give the benefit of the doubt to people. And if you're a nice person and you're showing, you know, being courteous, not only to the court, but in text messages or uh, emails with a mom or a dad, and you're saying, you know, hey, what, how can we work this out? Things like that. That's going to look a lot better than you, you know, cursing them out and and belittling the other person. And, and it's just not going to work well. And so showing those showing those um, kind of evidentiary things will certainly go a long way in your suit. Yeah, and it uh, brings up a good point. He points out it, it, another thing that I tell my clients is you have to think of it like as if you're um, if you yourself were interviewing someone for a job. Uh, so if you were hiring, you know, you've, you're remodeling your house. If you were hiring someone, Michelle, to uh, involuntarily re- if, remodeling, by if, the way, yeah. If you were hiring someone to <laughs> to tile your uh, shower, you would want to know. Well, um, have you ever tiled a shower before? Uh, do you know how to tile a shower? Can you show me that you know how to tile a shower? Do you have examples of showers you've tiled? Well, in this, in in the courtroom, the court's going to want to know. Well, you want to be the primary parent. Have you ever been a primary parent? Oh, you have. Show me examples of how you've been a primary parent. What have you done to be a primary parent? And that's when all of these things that we talked about become important is because it's just like as if you were hiring someone to do a job. The court is determining whether or not the court's going to hire you to uh, fill a position that the court has to determine uh, who's in the best place to fill that position. Uh, And so that's why all of these things become important because the the court wants to see them the court wants to know that you're capable of doing them uh and and so we talked about all those factors but also uh when it comes to possession and access the court's going to want to see you know if you come in there and you say well you know i want to be primary but um i've uh you know i've i've never given any of the kids a bath oh well hmm or I want to be primary, but as Ryan pointed out, but I've never taken a single one of the kids to the doctor. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I want to be primary, but I've never gone to a parent-teacher conference. Oh, okay. I want to be primary, but I've never set up a play date for any of my children. Well, that's something that those are all things that we would anticipate that a primary parent would do, should do, and would be expected to do. And so you need to be able to come into the courtroom and show the court that you're not, that you're capable, that you know how to do them, and that you've done them. And, and I've seen in the, the case that I was talking about earlier with the two-month-old, the other side tried to cross my client, who was dad, tried to cross him on, you know, what type of formula does he, this baby have? And my guy answered it like that. And and the judge kind of gave a little smile because they were trying to trip him up. And he knew right away what, what type of formula, the brand of formula, how much formula, when it was given to the baby. I mean, he just nailed those things. And like I, said, I mean, he got a pretty good result. And because he was able to show, hey, this is what you know, this is what the routine is for this child. And so he was ready to step up right there. So, yeah, I like that, uh, likening it to a job interview that the judge is interviewing for the best person to be the parent as if it's a job interview. I like, I like looking at it that way. I think that's a great way for clients to look at it. But what about the guy who says, but Michael, you know, in our marriage, I've been the one that's gone to work and she's been the one staying home. 
And for X, Y, and Z reasons, I don't think she should be the primary parent. Right. So, but I, but I haven't been because I've been working and right. I've been working a lot. Yep. So what do you tell him? So in that situation, we, we look at that and say, okay, well, this is a situation where you have, um, through choices, um, designated this person to fulfill that task. Uh, what the position you would obviously take with the court is that that person has not fulfilled that task. Like, Judge. She needs to be fired from the job. That's right. Judge, he or she, uh, this is the job they were supposed to be doing. This is what I anticipated they would be doing. They haven't been doing it. I have that client step up before we ever file and start filling the shoes. So that way we uh, have a baseline or a basis to be able to show the court that it was necessary for that parent to step in and begin fulfilling uh, roles and tasks that were not being uh, appropriately completed uh, by the other parent. Uh, and uh, judge, we've had to file this case we, and move forward because of these reasons, um, which uh, sometimes we sometimes are bad acts. Uh, sometimes that parent is picking other uh, things over the children. Uh, sometimes it can be drugs. Sometimes it can be alcohol. Uh, sometimes it can be third parties, such as uh, going and hanging out with their uh, uh, friends. Uh, sometimes it can be third party in the sense of a paramour. Uh, they're choosing to go uh, spend the night, uh, spend the weekend, spend this and that with uh, someone that they're having an affair with. Uh, and, and so what we see in those cases is, and what I always tell the court is, is judge, we can tell what this person's priority and or priorities are, and those priorities are not the children. My client's priorities have always been the children, even when he or she was at work, because they were working to provide for those children. And, and, and so we know what this person's priorities have been. My client's priorities have been the children, uh, whether it was at work or at home. This person's priorities have been X, Y, Z, anything but the children. And um, so, yeah, so, so in those circumstances, it's not a situation where, sorry, you know, uh, you've allowed that parent to be the primary parent, you're out of luck. It's a situation where, well, we need to address it. Yeah, and I mean, they are coming from behind if That's they've right. been the working parent versus a stay-at-home parent. Of course. They're yeah. coming from behind. Yeah, yeah. De definitely definitely coming from a, a different position. Um, and depend again, everything, everything is fact-intensive. So depending on the facts and circumstances and depending on whether or not that parent, because sometimes you'll see these situations where the parent will come in and say, well, you know, the other parent uh, staying at home, but they're not doing their job. Okay, well, great. You ready to jump in there? Oh, well, you know, oh, well, I'm, you know, I've got to work and I've got, oh, oh, so you're, you're not ready to jump. Okay, well, so then the, then the court has, you know, the court has to pick your poison. Um, you know, uh, you know, do we pick the, the person who's been the primary caretaker, but maybe not necessarily doing the best job, or do we pick the one who uh, has not been the primary caretaker and who doesn't necessarily want to be the primary caretaker? Well, in that situation, the court's probably going to pick the primary caretaker who hasn't necessarily been doing the best job uh, under those circumstances. Yeah. So, so how do you go about, because um, you were talking about, you know, gathering proof and evidence and pictures, like, what are some ways that um, that you can document without going overboard? 
to prepare for that custody case? I always tell clients start to because you know a client is going to give you stacks and stacks of screenshots that it's just and you're going to look at these and say well it is going to cost you a lot of money for me to look (laughs) at those right what i always tell clients to do is pick a certain number um you know screenshot certain things and then tab them maybe put them start a journal or a binder of some sort so that it's organized because if it's organized and i can flip around through it it's going to be a lot easier for everybody it's going to be easier for me it's going to be easier for me to present it to the judge Mm -hmm. Uh, that is and and i always tell them categorize it by you know certain things so if some things are for doctor's appointments some things are for pickups and drop-offs so that way we can say hey he was picking up or she was picking up on these days at these times here's all the proof of that great I've got those texts and so you know I think that that's the important thing um, on that front kind of going off what Michael was saying I think having a plan if you're going to ask for a primary or 50-50, whatever it is, and you're working full-time, you better have a plan for where that child's going to be when you're at work. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't and you go in there, like Michael said, and says, well, yeah, I mean, I'd like, I'd like primary. Okay, great. What does that mean? I don't know. I just want primary. I know that. <laughs> and, and, and without some sort of plan saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have, you know, my mother or somebody take care of the child while I'm at work or I'm going to have daycare and I'm going to pick up and and I can, you know, my job's going to be flexible with me. That sort of thing is incredibly important to show the court why the status quo of, you know, that typical stay-at-home parent isn't working anymore and what we can do to kind of get this child to the next level of where he's going to be, he or she's going to be in his life. Yeah. I I like what you said about journaling because that's one of the things that I talk to parents either in the middle of a custody case or preparing for the custody case uh, to talk about journaling, like keeping that journal, that daily log. There's a lot of formats. You can have like a regular written journal. You can have calendar entries. You can do it in a Word doc that just starts with the next day and just kind of goes and goes and goes. But some form of documenting every day your involvement with the child, you know, or what happened that day. You know, today, got up, we had bath time, the kiddo was really cute because they sang the rubber ducky song, and, you know, then we went to school, and we stopped and got donuts, and whatever, you know, having just kind of that that journaling, and not the Johnny-come-lately journaling, but, you know, journaling over a history of time, I think, is very effective to show that kind of day-to-day, mundane, routine, every day I'm doing parenting stuff. Um, I, I, I like that when clients do that. I do that, and I also, along the journaling, I also have them do timelines because I think timelines are incredibly helpful. I'll typically, depending on how long of it's, how old a child is and whatnot, you know, it depends on how detailed I'll tell them to be on the timeline, but I think the timeline helps not only the client remember things and they can go back and pull certain text messages or things like that, but it also helps the attorney 
figure out, hey, what do I need to stress in this case as we prepare for trial? So, so um, social media, friend or foe? Can it be a friend? Can it be a foe in this preparing for litigation uh, type of a situation? Of course. Um, so it can be both. Um, and uh, what you oftentimes see with these uh, social media um sites you know whether it's you know facebook or uh, instagram or uh, twitter or otherwise as you see people um you know you you talked a minute ago about a journal um and and when we think about things like a journal uh, and oftentimes these social media pages as you you see people using them as almost like a stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. um and uh where they're sharing their their private thoughts, their private emotions, and oftentimes their private choices uh, that uh, aren't necessarily uh, the best thoughts uh, or the best choices. And, and so um, they oftentimes can be a, a treasure trove of information for uh, the parent who's making good choices, um, but oftentimes they can also be uh, very uh, damaging if uh, your client is uh, not the one who's necessarily making the best choices uh, and who is using that uh, social media account as that stream of consciousness to display their bad acts for all the public to see. So it's, it's uh, you know, it that pendulum can swing both ways. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people, when you talk about journaling, I think a lot of people use Facebook as almost a journal of what I did today, right. which can be good or bad. I mean, if you've got you know, a lot of, not necessarily one or two, but if you've got kind of a pattern or history of, you know, having pictures of alcohol or, uh, I mean, I've seen a a few where you've had pictures of drugs, but Mm -hmm. not very many. Surely people are smarter than that at this point. But, you know, some pictures of going out drinking with the girlfriends, margaritas on the table, maybe even, I've I've even had a, a case or two where you have margaritas on the table with the kiddos, uh, in the picture, you know, those can be the times where where Facebook or social media can be bad for a parent. But I also think they can be good for a parent. I mean, I can think of one of our clients in particular who does a fantastic job with social media, um, emphasizing the parenting role, you know, at active, active in the parenting role mm-hmm. on social media. So, you know, showing being at you know the the soccer games and coaching and you know mm-hmm. going to the PTA meetings or the school or this or that so i think it can be both it can be you know your worst nightmare if you're just kind of letting your as you said your private stuff be public that's right um or it can it can really be a help if you are you know showing the world and facebook you know the positive things that you're doing as a parent that's right yeah in I always tell clients, be very careful and, and cognizant of what you're posting because, you know, I'll, I'll never forget a case that I had a few years back and the we represented dad and mom was saying that dad was this drunk, he was this alcoholic, et cetera, et cetera. And then mom, you know, a week before she had filed a TRO, mom had posted you know what rhymes with friday alcohol meme on her on her facebook and the you know the judge i mean she got hammered for it because you know more ways than one but uh you know but 
the judge, you know, gave her a stern talking to about how you can possibly be accusing him of these bad acts when you're seemingly okay with them and yours. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, um, moving out at what point, so we're still in the prior to litigation, you know, at what point do you talk to fathers, to men about moving out versus staying in the house? Sure. So, um, a number of the things we've hit on uh, are factors that aren't just factors that we as lawyers look at, but they're factors that uh, have been um, addressed in case law. Uh, Ryan talked earlier about having a plan. Um, we uh, are now talking about uh, one that's uh, stability. Um, and these, a number of these are factors known as the Holly factors, which is all of us lawyers know is the case of Holly v. Adams, Texas Supreme Court from back in the 70s. And um, stability with regard to any children, whether uh, infants or all the way up to, you know, nearly emancipated teenagers, uh, stability is always going to be something that the court looks at. And I feel like that's the most important thing yeah. the court looks at, especially yeah. in the very beginning of the case. Of course. Um, stability and maintaining status quo. And so so uh, clearly the child's residence, uh, if, if it's a house that the kids have lived in for the past you know, two years, five years, ten years, um, is going to be significant. And it's going to be a situation where you have to... Um, you can't make that decision as to whether or not to move out lightly. Uh, uh, and you have to base that decision on, um, well, on looking at the facts and circumstances of the situation. So for instance, maybe you have lived in a house for the past five years, but you're well aware that uh, we're about to have, we're about to request the court sell that house. Um, and we anticipate that the court probably will. In that situation, it's going to be more important to go ahead and set up a uh, new stable residence quickly uh, because uh, that will become, the, the new stable will become the new status quo. Uh, and, and you can be like, well, judge, that house is going away, so it doesn't really matter who lives there. She's living there right now or he's living there right now, but uh, that doesn't matter because we're about to sell it. And so that's, that's, that is unstable. The fact that that parent is still staying there and has not established a new abode a new point of reference for stability is a problem, whereas I have. I have, and look at it, it's great, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it works perfect. Um, and so, um, uh, or you, if you have a situation where um, you have an existing residence, but you've only lived there a short period of time, or the residence that uh, you're currently living in is uh, a lease or, or a rental property as opposed to a uh, home that the parties own, um, you look at these factors in determining what uh, would be the best what would be the best course of action here in and it loops us back around to what Ryan talked about earlier uh, with when we're presenting our quote-unquote plan for the children to right. the court so don't you think though in in specifically representing fathers there's always this balance in the question of moving out of if they're going to sue for custody, they need to be there and be the primary parent and be in charge and sure. be directing, you know, what's going on with the kiddos. But on the other hand, a lot of times when you're getting to that point of almost breaking up, relationships can get a little volatile. And right. there have been known to be times where 
women would trump up some stuff to kind of create some volatility so that the police get called. Mm -hmm. And in, in my experience, the police getting called always goes bad for the guy. And so you've got this like balance of like, do you stay because you've got to be there and be parenting the kids? Do you move out because the police might get called? I mean, how do you balance those two things? Every case is different. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a hard part for me in advising dads, you know, and when you get to kind of that point of, I always tell them, you know, if things start getting volatile, if things temper start getting out of hand, you got to go because if, if they, if the police come, if they arrest you, if you lose your temper, like you're done, you know, And, and making that call and making that call, um, effectively is something that comes with experience yeah. uh you know you, you after you've tried enough of these cases handled enough of these cases uh, you get a pretty good feel um of of when you need to make that call uh based on of moving out yeah when you need to make that call uh out of you know risk versus reward mm-hmm. uh is the um is the risk of a false allegation uh worth uh, staying there um, uh, for the potential that the court would consider that instability, or is it a situation where you can show the court that the risk of staying there was much greater uh, and would have would have had a much more negative impact on the children than the parent going ahead and having moved out? Um, and you 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 weigh those um, factors, and and uh, you know that's why that's why the attorney gets paid to make that make those types of calls. Well, and I think also that that that's when it's time to pull the trigger and file the lawsuit. That's right. I mean, if you're afraid, if you're legitimately afraid that that's a problem, that means it's time to go to court so that we can get orders in place that deal with that. Of course. And nowadays, I mean, heck, these these small Nest cameras, they're not they're not very expensive. And if you think that that's that's there might be a he said he said she said situation. I mean, I've told clients, you know, put some cameras up yeah. because it'll solve some of those And issues. I think that's a good point. I mean, we've had a case where the cameras in the house, inside the house, were a factor in, in mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. the very beginning of the divorce and, and proving some things that happened or didn't happen. So I think that's a, a very good point that the only thing I would caution is that, you know, not to put cameras in a bedroom or a bathroom or the shower, you know, places where people are entitled to their privacy, but definitely in the living rooms and kind of those common areas where, where fights can go down. I mean, that can, that can be a a help in improving what did or didn't happen. All right. So we're at about that 30 minute mark. We're at the end of session two, the strategies before suit is filed. We're going to move to the session three. The next section is on uh, navigating custody evaluations, what to do about child custody evaluations, the strategies for dealing